All right. So today, <laughs> wow, I'm so excited. This is a this is amazing. This is truly extraordinary. Today, I'd like to share my thoughts on the new Matrix movie, Matrix number four, Resurrections. So I just watched it and oh man, oh man, oh man, I I am just blown away by this incredible movie. This has so many layers, so much depth, so many intricacies. It's got everything that I wanted from this movie. It's really just, it's out of this world and it's how modern movies should be. It has really delivered on every front. There's so much to go into with this movie. There's so much depth in this movie. So let's talk about it. Where to begin? <laughs> All right. It's it's almost like where do we begin with it? Because there's so much in it. And I'm just I'm just blown away. Now, first of all <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Pardon me. Oh man. I'm still I'm still recovering. First of all, I was bawling my eyes out the whole way through this movie. Basically the whole way through this movie, I had tears just pouring down my face. Because it hit right at my center. It hit me hard. And there are some gold lines. There are some amazing moments in this that just it's just too much for me to take in so many ways. And I got my, I got a piece of paper here so I can, I'll try not to start crying right now, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try and keep it together for the purposes of this discussion. But just to give you an idea of how much this movie has affected me, basically I was crying the whole way through. So let's get into some of the, oh man, it's it's so hard to know where to begin. Basically... This story, you have to understand, this story that is in Matrix 4 is thousands of years old. It comes from Hindu mythology. More specifically, it comes from Tantra mythology, which is related to Hindu mythology. And, of course, all of the Matrix movies draw on non-dual Hindu religions. This one is more specifically towards the Tantra side because it deals with Shiva and Shakti. Now, I've talked about this in the past, but let me refresh your memory. Shiva is the god of destruction. Shiva is all-powerful. Shiva is in so many ways, the, the head god. And Shiva is in peace. He basically sits, meditates, and enjoys his life. And then along comes Shakti, and she shoots an arrow into his heart, right? Stirs love, stirs, stirs passion, stirs the feelings. And then 
he is awakened with his love, with his passion. And then that brings him to life and that brings a destruction. That brings a power. And the story there is that if Shiva and Shakti meet, if they come together, that will make a power so powerful that it will destroy the world. And so there's from that all the different ways in which Shakti becomes afraid of Shiva. Shakti runs away from Shiva. Shiva is distracted from pursuing Shakti. Shiva is putting his energy into something else or he's lulled into complacency. He's lulled back into his peace. He's lost his passion and so on, right? Now, you could see that this this, this is an exact map onto what is happening with this Matrix 4 movie. And in many ways, in Hindu mythology and Tantra, the, Tantra theory or Tantra ways of speaking about this relationship between the masculine and the feminine, every relationship has that. Every relationship is an echo of that. Because the story goes that, okay, the god Shiva and the goddess Shakti know that they can't be together because that would destroy the world. So what they do is they put themselves into smaller echoes of themselves. And that becomes, well, everyday, day-to-day relationships, right? When anyone gets together with their romantic partner, that is just a smaller echo of the larger gods. And the realization is that when you're in an intimate relationship and you connect with someone, then you realize that you are the god of Shiva and Shakti. You are two gods meeting. You you remember your original face. And yet, it's possible, right, to be in that relationship and to be convinced by the surfaces. All right? This is one, this is one of the major themes of Matrix 4. Neo and Trinity meet and they have no idea who they are. They have no idea the depth that is behind them. It's it's the the absolute opposite, right? They meet in the coffee shop and it's like this awkward, boring, normal, just like you're a normal person, you've got a wife and kids, or, or well, Trinity has a husband and kids, right? And he's just some game designer guy, right? And yet behind that, the whole journey, the whole story is the process of coming back to, ah, actually, I remember what I am. I realize what I really am. And that is the climax of the story, right? Trinity and Neo coming together and seeing each other for what they really are. And what happens when that happens? It is the end of the world. They have a power so powerful that they can destroy the very matrix itself. And they actually don't destroy it, but they recreate it. They rebuild it. So that is one of the most profoundly shocking undercurrents to this movie, this this major thread that is going throughout 
the whole movie and it's really one of the major arcs that is happening and it's an old story right it comes from hindu mythology it's gone back thousands of years the the story of shiva and shakti predates christianity it predates even a lot of ancient history so it's it's amazing right to see that it's amazing to have that of seeing oh everything is just so normal when really that that's how we're convinced right that's how we're so much caught up in our own lives right because when you have your intimate partner it's just like uh you know i've seen it all before <laughs> there's there's nothing special about this relationship so like, uh ah oh, you'll do how did i end up with you right <laughs> that's the exact opposite of this chosen realization or this fate of seeing your original face seeing that you are a god and you embark on that journey together and really any intimate relationship that you have is a journey of realizing your inner god or goddess your original face and discovering your true power your real power which you've forgotten which you've disowned which you've been convinced isn't real so that's a major thread let's let's move on to something else now here's another thing this character bugs jessica henwick the opening scene is with her looking onto an old scene and this is a beautiful way of illustrating how there are multiple layers in the first matrix films we had this sense of okay there's this world and there's the other world and they're interacting now in matrix 4 we have those worlds happening concordantly and it's not only that jessica henwick is watching this old scene but it's also that the outside world right the seeker or the guy that's sort of running the program and sort of being her backup computer guy he's also there but he's also in the world right he's there but he's not there so she can get hurt and he can't because he's sort of on the computer but he's got like a a hologram version of himself in that world which is also watching onto another world and you realize that that is actually another part of this world that which is us watching the screen right so we are watching someone who is watching something which is a repeat of something which shows the multiple levels at once right it's give it gives you that sense of multiple worlds happening and that is actually something that occurs again and again throughout the movie right it happens again when morpheus is in the construct the white room and everything is white and neo is there and he sees ah i've done this before i recognize this movie and then there's the tv screen which they watch which has the scenes from before and there is the outside world of the people who are watching along on that and then there's us right so there's like three or four different layers happening concordantly and that gives you this sense of well multiple worlds multiple layers multiple levels and we did have that in the previous movies it's just that in matrix 4 it's all right in your face all at once right it's like multiple levels 
on steroids and you see it right there and it's so good. Now, it's a bit hard to know how to make our way through this. So we'll, we'll just make our way through as whatever, right? We might have to backtrack or go around. There's no, there's no order to this, which is, <laughs> which is sort of like true to the story, right? Because things are upside down and things are sort of back to front. So, I mean, that, that's another major theme, which is that everything in Matrix 4 is either upside down or the opposite of what it was. And you see this in the characters, you see this in the scenes, you see this in motivations, right? So, take for example the, the, the Meryl Vingian, right? The French guy. In Matrix 2, Matrix Reloaded, he was this really classy, very clean, he had this beautiful wife, he was really rich, he was really cultured, it was really just clear conversation and all this power, right? Now in Matrix 4... He's <laughs> he's this this crazy raise, raving bum, right? He's this crazy guy who's just got no class at all. And another example is, well, Agent Smith is now, well, an uh, an ally of Neo, right? Agent Smith actually ends up helping Neo because he's got a a. a a common goal to get the powers off him, right? And that's the complete opposite of what it was, which is that he was his nemesis in the previous films. And there's quite a lot of complexity to that because it's not only that he is his ally, it's that he is also fighting against him, right? In the first half of the movie, he's fighting against him. But then there is this connection that, well... They have this same motive, motivation, which is to discover themselves, right? And there's an echo in Agent Smith that he also has to remember who he is, right? There's an echo there, which is when Neo is starting to sort of come out of the Matrix again and re-remember himself. Well, Agent Smith, we get the impression, is doing the same thing when he picks up the gun, and it's so intense how this happens. It's so amazing that... And and really, it's not... I mean, everything in the movie is carefully constructed. So, there's a point to it, right? You can't... Like, like it wouldn't have worked, I don't think, if Agent Smith had have been waiting all along to reveal himself and to pick his moment. It is that he remembered who he is... At the same time as Neo was remembering who he is. There's a connection there. That's not a coincidence. That Agent Smith, in the middle of the big fight, when there's guns going off, there's there's explosions happening, and he looks around and he sees what happens, and then he remembers, well, that's fitting. That's very fitting. It's very telling. And that connection, I mean, there's a lot between... Agent Smith and Neo that happens. Now, here's another thing that sort of dovetails with the the opposite of everything, right? Morpheus is not just Morpheus. Morpheus is actually also Agent Smith, right? In the opening scene, and they go to arrest Trinity, and he says, No, Captain, your men are already dead. 
right? That's Agent Smith's line. That's the bad guy's line. And who's saying it? Morpheus. That's another example of this opposite of characters. So we have these changing worlds and these changing characters. And you really wonder, like, what what is a character? What is a person? Because Morpheus is now a program, right? So he's gone from being Agent Smith to being a program to being an ally of Neo. And and even further than that, we find out that Morpheus is dead, <laughs> right? And it is just this beautiful, beautiful scene. One of the most incredible scenes when Neo walks up to the statue of Morpheus, right? It's the... the uh, what do you call it? The memorial of Morpheus. And he's there in this statue and there are candles and he's talking to Niobe. And he remembers the last time he saw Morpheus. And then he realizes, ah, well, what is this entity that I've met? And we see this connection, right? Right. This this is like a, a mind warp that is, is so far out of this world. Like, like, what is a person? What is a character? What role can they play? And this is not a stretch because the thing of in, like imprinting onto other people or other characters or other entities, whether they're human or machine or programs, that's actually something that happened in the previous films, right? Agent Smith was able to imprint himself onto someone else and then to go into another world to find Neo and also within the Matrix, Agent Smith could do that. So, to see that now, well, multiple people do that in multiple ways, well, it makes sense. And there is also this thing of the 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 loop or the testing, I forget what they call it, the like the simulation loop where he creates something to test programs. That's that's also something that once you understand, then, well, it makes sense because you have a, a, a smaller loop within something that then echoes outside and you're not able to, to bridge the two, right? That's that's sort of like the first half of this scene of, of Bugs and Morpheus realizing what they are, right? And, and it's so amazing that they can get that into one scene. Just, just appreciate that, right? When Bugs and... Morpheus first meet within the loop the the first thing they're doing is is holding a gun at each other they're about to kill each other and then they realize together what each of them are and they go from holding a gun to each other to hugging and realizing that they are together and they need to work together to get out to have that in one scene, in one moment, that, that's extraordinary storytelling. That is beautiful storytelling. And another very amazing undercurrent, a very important undercurrent that is related to how actually Bugs was saved and how she got out was this thing of appearances aren't always what they seem. And it's actually Bugs that saves Neo. 
from the matrix. And the, the way she does that is by recognizing what he really is, right? The scene is that she's cleaning the window. Again, just like all the other characters. You're, you're a mundane, plain, boring, nothing special about you person. Doing some menial job like cleaning windows. And she looks up and she sees Neo. And I wrote down the quote. She says, this, this is so beautiful. This is, this is one of those gold lines that just hits so hard. She says, The moment he looked at me, I felt something unlock my mind. And she sees the real Neo, which we find out isn't actually how he appears to everyone else. And that is so powerful. It's not an explanation. It's not a story. It's truth. It's seeing truth in that moment. And that skill of hers to see what Neo is, she then uses to go around and come back in the story to save Neo. Because the next time she sees him, he doesn't know what he is. (laughs) Right? He thinks he's just some normal guy. And because she sees it, she knows you have to come with me and go through out of this loop into the real world. Now, there's another big theme here, which is of mirrors, keys, and phones. Now, in the original Matrix trilogy, the way you would go in and out of the Matrix is with the telephone. You would have to have the phone to unjack or to get out and to pass through. And... That was a fitting prop because the first three, and really particularly the first one, was about hearing the call. It's about truth calling out to you and actually you answering it. And you're having this sort of connection with truth. Now that's changed. Now it is mirrors. So instead of answering the phone, you go into a mirror and that is a fitting prop for this this escalation in the story because now it's not hearing the call. It's not truth that is calling out to you for you to answer. It's not a call to the hero's journey. It's the mirror, which is that you have to look at yourself. You have to see your reflection and you have to go so deep into it that you see what you really look like. It's carefully constructed plot and prop that when Neo stands in front of the mirror, he sees his reflection. And other times he sees how he looks to others. And at the critical moment when he's really about to break out, what happens? He looks into the mirror and he starts going into it and he finds his therapist right? He finds the guy that is holding this world over him. He finds the guy that's pushing this untruth, the guy that's lying to him. And he starts to doubt himself, right? He's facing that. Now, in that moment, there's another critical thing, which is the red pill scene. And this is, this is very significant. 
This is not the same thing that has happened before. This is not a repeat. Now things are very different. Now the stakes, the understanding, the implication, the weight is on a whole new level, right? This is this is escalation to its maximum degree. Because Neo is there, he's having all this explained to him, he's realizing it, and Morpheus offers him the red pill again. And this time it's different, because of course in the background we also have, concordantly, the old blue pill, red pill choice, right? And he's saying, well, all I can offer you is the truth. I can't actually tell you, you have to see it for yourself. Right? That's what it was like the first time. This time, totally different because Neo remembers. He knows what is going to happen. He knows the story. He does know what happens when he takes... <laughs> this, is, this is just like uh, the weight... Is, is so powerful. It, it, it's so powerful. Because really it comes down to this. Would you make the choice now that you know what it means? Would you make that choice again? And Neo realizes that this could mean the Trinity will die. Would you choose that again? Would you choose choice would you choose truth knowing that it will mean you will go on all of that journey again and die? And what does he choose? He chooses truth. This is this is so powerful. This is so incredible. And of course if you <laughs> If you're just like, oh, we've seen this before, it's just the same choice, that's where you're wrong. It is not the same choice. This is a completely different game, a completely different level. So, let me just take a moment. Uh, there's There's another thing that happens with the echoes which we should look at. So, just to change the pace a bit. <laughs> the, uh, to sort of just finish up what we were saying about mirrors, the thing of the phones and the mirrors and the keys, these are props which are very much important to changing worlds and changing context and changing characters and changing where you are, right? It's not a... It's very much fitting that, well, now you can go through different doors and go into other worlds, which they already had in previous Matrix movies, right? That was in, what, the second second one? And now it's just on steroids, right? It's just ramped up. They can go through multiple ways and different angles and it's upside down, right? This whole thing of up and down and direction, because it's a multi-dimensional plot, the cinematography and the set reflects that, right? The plot and the cinematography is 
in accordance with each other because you don't only go through a door but you also go through and then you're upside down and then you look different and you're wearing different clothes and so there's a correlation there and of course it's done on a, on a much more higher scale more intense scale than the previous movies now there's another thing which is when trinity is talking with neo the the first time in the coffee shop and she says that she was telling her husband about this this character trinity and how she wondered if she looked like her and her husband laughed at her and she laughed along and in that moment she said that she was angry right the 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 story the dialogue between trinity and neo or mr anderson and tiffany is so deep because she's explaining to him exactly how she felt in that moment and yet she's not sure of herself right she's not entirely convinced of it she has the truth she knows the truth she knows that she felt angry when her husband laughed at her for saying that he looked that for saying that she didn't look like like for implying that he didn't that she didn't look like trinity she knows that but she's not sure about how she's telling it to neo she says oh you're probably regretting sitting down having having this conversation with me right you're probably not not enjoying having coffee with this crazy lady but he says well no this is the best thing that's ever happened to me and you're sort of at that point in the plot where you realize ah this is neo ah this is trinity and they're meeting as mr anderson and tiffany and they're just trying to work it out and it's not until they meet again when neo has realized what he is that they actually get to say ah no this is what we are so the arc of them discovering who they are is very very much well placed out throughout the movie now there's another thing that happens with neil patrick harris it's telling that he is the therapist just like it's telling that agent smith is the boss of the company <laughs> right and to sort of say something else about agent smith as boss it's telling that he smokes a cigarette he's got this cute phrase where he says oh i thought you quit smoking and he says oh i stopped calling it a habit and now i call it a guilty pleasure and that is exactly the implication of popular culture the bad guy is the guy that actually indulges in the mainstream culture which is exactly what smoking cigarettes is it's poisonous for you it is the biggest untruth that you can participate in it is one of the worst things that you can do you know smoking is bad for you you know smoking is wrong you know smoking is just it's just messing up your organs 
your mind, your habits, your lungs, the way you breathe, your consciousness, your awareness. And yet it parades as, well, this great thing. And that's a very important message. So that's a little bit of a tangent to get back to what I was talking about with the therapist. So the therapist is the person that gets inside you and knows you and yet feeds you this wrong thing. Now, of course, (laughs) I'm usually much more pro-therapy, right? Get help, talk about your problems, actually do what it is that you need to do to learn about yourself. And if you have a therapist, then, well, generally that's a good thing. But really, the message there is that that is just another defense mechanism. That is just another untruth that is being fed to you. That is another conditioning. It's another matrix. It's another set of beliefs that is being impressed upon you. Now, of course, as we watch the movie, we know this. We see, no, Neo, you have to believe that 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 world is real. And, And our doubt as to, well, is it real or isn't it real? Is the therapist lying or is he not lying? That's part of our trip. That's why we follow along the journey of Neo. And what happens is, well, when Neo finally realizes who he is and he turns up to meet Trinity and to talk with her, then the therapist turns up and he has more power. He has the power to slow down time and to rewind time, right? So Keanu Reeves is in slow motion like this. He's trying to throw a punch. And Neil Patrick Harris is sort of moving around in his own speed. Right, And this is another one of those multidimensional components to the movie, which is a part of modern cinema. This is something that needs to happen, which is multiple times at once, right? You've got someone staying still, so you've got the frozen world, and then you've got the slow motion world, and then you've got the the real-time world or the fast-time world. So it's all these things happening at once. And of course, this has been done before, you know, like we've seen this in movies and TV shows. I remember one TV show where the story was that one person had the power to stop time. So he was going around stopping time and doing things. And then another superhero had the power to run really fast. So they crossed paths and it was this big moment when the person who could stop time or the controller of time could actually have someone who could keep up with them, right? Someone who could actually do the force against them and actually have their powers taken away from them, right? I think that was Heroes, right? It was some hero, superhero TV show where every superhero had a different power and it was like the working against of those different powers, right? So it's been done before in many different ways, but beautifully done in Matrix 4, right? Slow motion drama, right? The bullet is going through the apple while there's dialogue happening and the frozen trinity is there about to get shot in the head and then suddenly it switches to real time and then things reverse, right? This this big complex of different times and different things. And, and this happens again and again, right? It happens when there's the scene where Trinity is to 
have the choice of does she want to stay where she is or does she want to remember who she is and of course it all comes down to the big climax and it's just so beautifully done it's so well done and it's fitting because you have just like you have not up and down and characters playing different roles like who is a character but you also have that with time you also have that with is something happening forwards or backwards is something happening fast or is it happening slow well it's happening both at the same time and of course on top of all this you get a beautiful sense of history right there's this big expanse of time from the last movie to the movie that we're watching now, which is Matrix 4. That expanse is so well portrayed, particularly when Niobe is talking about, well, what is the history? What happened after Neo brought peace to the world? What was the effect? And the effect was, well, a good thing but not a good thing in just a good thing. It was a good thing in that there was multiple sides to it. And the world had changed into something that was not just good and bad. And this is the world we're living in, right? (laughs) This is why it's a cultural commentary. This is why the side game of Neo or Mr. Anderson and his Matrix game is, is binary. You notice that binary is a very important component. And we see this all throughout the plot because we have the binary of Neo and Trinity. But then there's also the binary of Morpheus and Agent Smith. And then there's the binary of Neo and his therapist. And that goes on and on in in many different characters. Then there's also the Trinity, right? This idea of three. Trinity's name has always had significance. Trinity is really, in so many ways, the the powerful one, the key to the story. And that's something that you don't realize. And people have said, maybe in other criticisms, that, oh, you know, why, why do you bring Trinity into it? I thought Neo was the one. I thought Neo was the savior. No, no, you don't understand. Trinity is the savior. Because one is one, right? Neo is one. He's one power, but Trinity is three. Just like Jesus is one and God the Father is three, right? God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Trinity, which is more powerful than just Jesus, right? That's another religious undercurrent that happens. And that happens in Hindu mythology as well, right? And you could say, well, you know, why are they making her so powerful in the fourth movie? No, you don't understand. She has always been like that. Because you realize in the in the very first Matrix, it's trinity that saves neo (laughs) how can you forget this neo gets right let me refresh your memory neo gets shot right he's trying to get out and he turns up to the phone 
and Agent Smith is there, and he shoots him, and he dies. Then Trinity is on his body in the real world, as he's plugged into the Matrix, and she says to him, I believe now, and I know you are the one because I love you. And then she kisses him, and that brings him to life, and that saves him. And then, of course, the second movie is Neo saving Trinity. It's reversed. Well, now it's reversed again. It's reversed back to how it always was, which, which was that Trinity is the saviour. She's the missing key. She's the powerful one. So don't take this as <laughs> as like, you know, it, it, it didn't happen that some people were sitting around it like, this is not how it happened. The writer's room is sitting around and they're thinking, uh, okay, maybe we should make Trinity more powerful because that will make the fans happy. happy. No, right? That's not the conversation. It is that. Trinity was always the powerful one. Trinity always was not the one, but she, she was the Trinity, <laughs> right? So I, I hope I've made that point. I hope that's clear. And it's something that is very misunderstood. And of course, this comes back to them together because the Trinity also needs the one. The Shiva and the Shakti are powerful together. So that's a little bit about that. Now, what else do we have? Smith has to remember who he is. We've covered that. Neo has doubts about himself. He doesn't feel like it's changed anything, but it does. Okay, so there's another echo here, which is important. And, and, and this movie is full of echoes, right? You see, you see the same thing again, but it's in a different way. One of the echoes that really stood out for me was Neo is... Uh, Mr. Anderson is in his office... And his work colleague comes up to him and says, oh, let's go get coffee. And he's fanboying him. He says, oh, that was a great film. That was a great, uh, not sorry, not film, uh, video game, right? Oh, I loved playing that video game. And he's fanboying him on the level of the fake world. This happens again when Neo comes out and he meets the, what is it called? The Neoologist, which is someone who had studied Neo, and he says, oh, I'm a big fan. I love your work, right? So there you have two different people in two different scenarios with two different levels of understanding, basically saying, oh, I love your work. I'm a big fan of yours. That is a very powerful echo. It's a very, like, I don't want to draw conclusions from it. I don't want to really make the implications too explicit because there's so much in that. It's almost like what is your level of appreciation? What do you really know about the people you admire? What do you really know about the people that you look up to? And sort of, I can see in a funny way that, you know, someone will come up to you and say, oh, I love your work. And it's like, do you really know what I do? <laughs> right? But that's probably enough said about that. And then let's see what else we've got. Coffee shop escalation. Yeah, it's fitting that the final scene or one of the final scenes happens in the coffee shop. 
It happens in the place where the mundane is. It just shows the escalation. And another powerful... Oh, before before we get to that, I wanted to say something about Priyanka Chopra Jones. I hope I'm I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So Priyanka Chopra Jonas Jonas is Sati, and she plays a pinnacle role in the movie because, if you remember, she was the child that Neo met at the train station when he was stuck in the train station. In I think that was the second movie. Might have been might have been the third movie that that happened. I can't remember. But in that movie, she's a child, right? And she's just like, hello. And her dad is like, come this way. And it's a very insignificant role. It's very small. She's very innocent. And it seems like, well, she's almost nobody. She's almost inconsequential. And yet, now she's turned into this pinnacle role because... She has the plan and she has the motivation and he, she has the network that is actually going to allow the people to get Trinity out without her knowing her plans, without her having her knowledge, without her having the special code, they couldn't have done it. So it's telling that someone who was in so many ways just incidental, innocent, has grown into this amazing thing, this powerful thing, this character that has a vast knowledge and a willingness to help in the most profound way. So that was a very interesting character, a very important character. And it illustrates a lot because, I mean, what can you draw as a conclusion from that? Like, like what is that as a statement? That is, that is an incredibly powerful statement. That, that is an extraordinary statement to put that on the screen. That a child is incidental, ignorant, uneducated, knows nothing about the plot, innocent, and yet, what that child becomes, the importance, the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, the skill, right? This character has skill. You see her, she's working on the machinery and there's these very intricate details and someone says, have you ever done this operation before, right? It's almost like brain surgery that they're doing. And to think, well, any person that is a brain surgeon literally was once a child that was ignorant, without skill. And that image, to have that in one story, to have that on the screen as, as so loud and so blaringly powerful as a message is so important. Now, there's another amazing line which really stuck out to me. And this line was when 
the team was going to save Trinity and one of them on the team says to Neo, oh, you know, if it wasn't for Trinity, then I wouldn't be here, right? She's sort of expressing how much she means to her. And yet she says that she'd seen her in her current state of not knowing who she is. And she doubted, she'd wondered, maybe she's a lost cause. Maybe she doesn't remember who she is. Maybe she's not the Trinity she once was. And this is when Neo says this. I've written down this quote. This is just so powerful. She sa- he says, I never believed I was the one. But she did. She believed in me. It's my turn to believe in her. End quote. And in some ways, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's cheesy, right? Yeah, I could sort of see how that's pretty cheesy, but on another level, that is, that is so profound. That is so heavy. It is just incredible to have that message embedded in these characters, in these stories, with so much at stake with so much multidimensionality. <laughs> and it really hit me. I really felt it. And you know, this this movie is just overall an incredible production. It's an incredible story. It's got incredible depth to it. It's got incredible visual effects. It's got incredible action scenes, right? I mean... A fist fight for an action movie is like the major scale for a musician, or it's like algebra for a mathematician, right? You've sort of got to have a fist fight. You've got to have a punch up. And they're a bit ABC. They're a bit cheesy, right? Some people would say, can Keanu Reeves fight like he used to? And it's like, well, you know, those fight scenes always were a bit cheesy. They always were a bit over the top. But you sort of have them as a part of the story and they are actually quite well done. And it's not the same as a B-grade action film because there are multiple layers to it, because it is intertwined in the plot. And it is sort of, it's just like B-grade action films these days, you know, like a Bruce Willis film or a, you know, a rock film, you know, like Fast and the Furious, these sort of ABC vanilla plots with just like, it's just so tasteless. It's so flat. And in The Matrix 4, it is done really well, right? You have exploding walls. You have this this blurred line between hand-to-hand and and gunfight, right? The boundary there is is blurred because normally in film, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you have either a gunfight where there's two people shooting at each other or you have a fist fight where there's no guns and they have to punch each other, right? That that boundary 
in so many ways has been clearly defined. And in, and in some ways, it's very overt, right? It would be like, okay, I've run out of bullets, so we have to fist fight or let's have a fair fight, right? By whatever circumstance they come about. But in Matrix 4, that line is blurred because up and down is blurred. So now we have these people where you would fight and sort of throw them and then shoot them and then you shoot at close range and shoot in different ways. So that's another thing that is sort of concordantly tied in with the plot and the existential themes, which is the fist fighting. And another thing that comes into this is the elements, because not only do we have up and down and multidimensionality, but you'll also notice that there is a use of water. There is a use of reflection. So behind the theme of mirrors and self-reflecting is the uh, the the use of water. So sometimes you will notice in this film there will be a scene where they're standing and there's water on the ground. And that's not a mistake. That's actually part of using more elements. Now, of course, it does just look cool because when you hit water, there's a splash and there's more stuff happening. So now you don't have just sparks and bullets flying everywhere. Now you have water flying everywhere, right? So that is cool. But... The importance of that is that you you see through the layers and there's a reflection, right? The, the image composition is that you have a reflection where you can see you can see what is reflected in the water or the mirror and you can see what is behind it and you can see it from different angles. So that is how multidimensional or integral level cinema should work and that's something you should look out for that's something you can notice in these films so that's that's about all i have to say i mean it's uh, man what a movie it's just like incredible and i haven't heard much in terms of the other reviews of this movie i haven't really seen much i don't really watch movie reviews at all but I have heard some movie reviews where it's just like, oh, this is the same thing we've always seen. Or this ruins the previous films. And this is so far from the truth. Like, you are so wrong about it. You are completely wrong. You've, you've missed the point of the movie. Right? Because this, this movie does have the theme that has always been there. Like, Resurrections. Right? Jesus was resurrected. And what happened after that? Well, that's the story of Matrix 4. And what if Jesus was resurrected today? What would he come back and find? Well, that's the story. That's the implication. And it's not just Jesus. I mean, it's all sort of resurrection. The the idea of the hero being resurrected is not only in the, <laughs> the the Christian tradition. It's a it's an archetype that repeats itself across many cultures and times. And to criticize the Matrix, it's it's almost like, you know, like like what do you get out of these films? Right? Do you want to sit back and just say, oh, that was a terrible film? Or do you really want to connect with it? Do you want to do you want to think about it? Do you want to experience it? Do you really want to have it open up your mind? Right? It's almost like like Mr. Anderson says. He says, Oh, I made this video game 
and it kept a couple of kids entertained for a couple of years. And that was it, right? Did you get the point of the Matrix 1? Did you get the point of Matrix 2, Matrix 3, Matrix 4? I know people who watched Matrix 1 and they were like, their reaction, their their reaction to Matrix 1 was, oh, so it was filmed in Sydney, (laughs) right? You want to you want to do that with Matrix 4 as well? Ah, Matrix 4. Oh, so it was filmed in San Francisco. Like, ugh, are you an idiot? Where's your depth? Where's your insight? Where's your connection? And it's so rare that a movie does that, right? Because so many movies are just spoon-feeding you the ABC plots and the the cheap thrills. How rare does a movie come along where it actually contends with these big ideas? And of course, right, one thing I haven't mentioned through all this, which is something that all the critics mention, is that there's this meta thing, right? Well, they talk about it in the movie that Warner Brothers is making them do it and they would have done it without you and, you know, the movie is making fun of itself. It's like, okay, yeah, that's like one of the themes out of however many we've already discussed and however many more there are that are happening on multiple layers, right? Don't linger on the meta plot, the meta implication. That is just one staple of the paradigm that they're exploring. And that's a given, like the postmodern paradigm of making fun of yourself you know, we have that in cartoons, we have that in movies, we have that in TV, we have that in advertisement, we have that in music, we have that in all of our art and all of our culture now. That is just where we are at. So don't linger on that. And another thing to appreciate, if someone makes a movie, who are you to criticize? I mean, my goodness. Holy mother of Mary, the amount of work that goes into making a movie like that. Like, like I watched the credits all the way through, right? I couldn't stop watching the credits. You, you look at the credits and it's like, okay, sound department, sound supervisor, you know, music coordinator, you know, sound designer, you know, and and then there's like the, the whole team of it, right? In the sound alone, there was a full department. There's a huge orchestra. There are technicians. And that's just one department, right? And then you see the visual effects department. And it was like, okay, visual effect supervisors, 50 names. Visual effect artists. It's like it's like 200 names. And then there's like another whole company of visual effects, right? There's like CGI and digital and coordination and... That And then there's like another 200 names. There must have been, like out of all the departments, there must have been a couple of thousand people who worked on that movie. They spent $190 million making that film. That is a ridiculous amount of money. That is, that is unfathomable. And it's like you want to sit back and criticize like, oh, yeah, I didn't like it. Or, oh, I've seen it all before. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you doing? You're just sitting in your chair 
raving to some camera. Give me a break, mate. Come on. These people that make these films, they are genius. They are genius. They are brilliant minds. And they're not lone geniuses, right? Lana Wachowski or the the Wachowski brothers, uh, (laughs) I guess I should say the Wachowski siblings, right? Yes, they are genius. Yes, they are pioneers. Yes, they are visionaries. But they had a lot of support. They had people working with them. And as listeners, as watchers, (laughs) I guess we can just marvel, right? We can just bask in these these gems of culture that don't come around very often right these big blockbuster movies that we normally watch they they don't resonate like this yeah movies like the matrix they they're very rare so cherish them yeah wow well that's that's quite a rave <laughs> It's quite a rave about the Matrix movies. I would rate Matrix 4 10 out of 10. And I would rate each of the first three Matrixes 10 out of 10. Matrix 1, 10 out of 10. Matrix 2, 10 out of 10. Matrix 3, 10 out of 10. Some people only liked the first one and they thought the second two ruined it. But I think all of them are a 10 out of 10. And I think Matrix 4 will stand the test of time. It deals with heavy themes which are new, which are fresh, which are exciting. It does it through plot, character, cinematography, existential themes, dialogue, intimacy, right? Just just seeing Carrie-Anne Moss and Keanu Reeves on screen, is there's just something magnetic about it. About it. There's, just, there's just something, right? You know, casting at that level something magical does happen so that's that's just amazing so yeah whew. that's quite a lot to say i guess so we'll finish this up thanks for listening along i'd like to know what you think leave me a comment as to what your experience of watching matrix 4 was so Thanks very much, and we'll be back soon with more.